This is Bill Woodson, host of Making a Better New, a podcast from New College of Florida. Please stay tuned for a special bonus episode from our friends and the faculty of Spanish language and literature at New College and the Latine students of New College. It's called Gringolandia. A little bit of insight into our community members. I think you'll enjoy it. Bienvenidos to Gringolandia Chats, the show where we discuss all about the Latinx experiences here at New College of Florida and beyond. I'm your host, Soy Su Anfitriona, Liz Mena. In this episode, I sit down with three students to talk about immigration, specifically about their first and secondhand experiences about them or their families migrating to the United States. We discuss three important themes, what it means to be legally an American, chain migration, and the American dream. These experiences differ from the mainstream concept of immigration while addressing the impact on identity when adjusting to life in the U.S. From obtaining an American passport, adjusting to American life, to returning home while still living in the U.S., this is all a complex but diverse experience for many. Sometimes this process represents a journey of learning, growing, and challenging the issues that arise back home and abroad. We listen to Omar talk about some of these nuances about the migration process from a social and cultural level that is specific to his experience as a Dominican student in the U.S. What are some of the challenges of adjusting into life in the U.S. as someone who immigrated at a young or older age? You just try to find something of back home, even if it's Peruvian food, even if it's Mexican food. Like, even if I it's found... not your culture, absolutely. Exactly, right. exactly. And right. whatever chances I got to speak Spanish here in Sarasota, I took it. I love that, that was a good coping mechanism for me. And obviously good. being able to be back home and talking to yeah. my family. Um, was a way a good way to cope, but I I do remember my first couple of years being um, rough in that sense in terms of me being like feeling like a complete alien. Uh, okay. But at the beginning, I was like, the few people that I could speak speak Spanish to were normally the people who I felt like a good connection to just inherently. Like if yeah. I found somebody who had um, spoken in Spanish even on the phone, I was like my ears would like pop up and I was like, okay, I need to talk to this person. So it was a good. Thing to like build relationships mm-hmm. with other people from Latin America and like you saw mm-hmm. that it was a very similar experience mm-hmm. um, for them too. Did you feel a need to adopt American mannerisms or culture or customs for the sake of proving your position as a U.S. citizen? I think I stopped doing certain things which I guess is a way of like doing other things in, in replacement of them. For example saying hi to people. Um, I don't know what the custom is in well I think even, even Miami um, I can't remember. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like <laughs> and kiss them. Yeah, exactly. You're just more, much more like um, affectionate. At the beginning, when you meet somebody, you already have like that. I don't know. To me, it makes a difference. But at the beginning, I had to learn oh, yeah. not to do that. When I was being introduced to other people in my orientation group, that I would like, I would be like standing, and I would like take a step towards them and be like, okay, wait, hold up, like I don't think that's okay here. So that was something that I had to stop doing. Uh, my English also. Um, changed quite a bit just because you pick up like idioms and stuff like that. Within the context of your family, how does it feel being American on paper while having family abroad back home? I don't feel weird about it. Like being, um, sometimes I like forget I'm a U.S. citizen even because, okay, one thing I notice is that people in the U.S. generally don't care that much about their passports. But to me, the U.S. passport, at least for my family, like that is more valuable than you. Like if you lose that, I basically am a Dominican living abroad. That's the way that I see it. 
And yeah. so that sometimes is like in opposition to me, the fact that I am actually a U.S. citizen and I was just mm-hmm. able to vote now. It's my first time voting here. It's been surprisingly easy to like move between both things being, you know, having a U.S. passport. I still have the Dominican passport, and when I go to the Dominican Republic, I'm not treated as a gringo, like, oh, like, pay tax and whatever. I'm, like, there, and they see that nationality Dominican, they just, like, you know. I've been able to really move between both spaces, so to speak. I guess that, that goes to, like, it being, like, need that, can you that, yeah. But yeah. I think the thing is that I was a, I've been able to, like, constantly think of myself as the aquí, like, as Dominican, while still having this American formal, like... Uh, how do you say this? Relationship. Education, to relationship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, for sure, for sure. For this episode, we define first-generation Americans as both being the first U.S.-born member in your family or being the first naturalized U.S. citizen in your family. Regardless of the ambiguous and broad definitions out there, being a first-generation American has a lot of layered implications. From one end, we are U.S.-born or naturalized citizens and carry the privilege of citizenship while having family that migrated or reside back home. Yet we are still subject to live in this complex duality. Abrazando una realidad americana while having been raised in a culture specific to our family's heritage and customs. Loving where we are from without necessarily being born there, or living abroad while continuing to love where we are from. Here we hear from Annabelle and her experience being a first-generation American. Do you ever feel guilty or uncomfortable being a U.S. citizen? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. I feel... Yeah. I, w- I always go back to privilege. Um... I just feel very privileged, uh, like knowing what my grandfather and my dad had to go through just to literally give me this life, just for me to do all this. Um, Sometimes it comes with a lot of guilt, like even in um, schoolwork, you know, if I'm not working at 150 percent, I feel like I'm wasting what they worked for. So there is like the shame in that, you know, or like just the guilt of like, come on, like you got to work hard because they worked hard for you to be right. here and to follow your dreams. How does it feel being American on paper while having family back home abroad? It definitely who, who feels are, very, yeah. very weird. Because <laughs> um, mm. I, I don't like saying that I'm American. I don't at all. Um, and I probably that probably sounds weird because there's so many like I know some of my families are like like La Yuma like they're dying to get here and like get that American citizenship, um, and I mm. can't say that I have I hold very much pride in that, um, and that could be my privilege talking um, mm. because I'm not an immigrant and I didn't have to fight as much for that American citizenship. I don't feel 100% American and I don't feel 100% Cuban and I'm kind of just like. Well, I'm Miamian. <laughs> like, <I don't>, <laughs> so if true. you go to Miami, you understand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah, and even like the the superiority complex of different cultures here oh that come, God. you know, like there's there's a lot there, you know, of people yeah. who settled here or whoever came first or whoever you know is is the most successful right now. Um, and I think also that has to do with it, you know, like. Yeah. It's not the same to just be, you know, literally immigrate from Spain and come with that Spanish background Um, because that's a whole different thing. That's Europe. (laughs) Yes, that's like a whole like European thing Um, 
or like to be Argentinian and, and like have a lot of like that Spanish um, influence of like that language and or be Venezuelan or Cuban or Puerto Rican and not have that same same specific language um, and kind of have to fight for your way here. I think every immigrant is fighting here to work so to get the American ways. dream. Yeah, and I feel like in a way that pressure of the American dream and of like being successful has divided our own community because like, we're all trying to get to it. What difference does it make if you came here the right way? What, it, what does that even mean? You know, like you're still leaving your country and you still have to make a decision. I don't understand it. I don't understand because that's such a big debate, at least in like my, my Miami community. But um, yeah. it'll be a big topic amongst um, Hispanic Republicans that I know. And yeah. it'll be like, well, they didn't come here the right way. And it's like, how can you say that? You're an immigrant. Like, yeah. um, they all want the same thing as you and they just yeah. want a better life at the end of yeah. the day. That's what we all want. How can you... Do you think there's a division between the Latino working class and then the others, like any other class that exists other than that within the Latino community? In my experience, head on, um, I think one of the biggest divides here is in these political debates of you know like just immigration you know people are just trying to come here to feed off of food stamps you know not trying to come and work Mm -hmm. and there's this kind of stereotype in hispanic communities of just like well cubans come here you know and they just like they live off of the government things like that um and knowing my family and how hard they worked you know those those stereotypes kind of hurt because then it's like if i was another culture would i work harder um Mm -hmm. and i don't think so because I think it's really a case-to-case basis, but I think even that own, like, our own Hispanic, like, stereotypes seep in to how we see the Hispanics immigrating. They'll um, be like, yeah, that specific group of people, like, they don't deserve to immigrate here, you know? And mm-hmm. um, the current president um, is right in what they're saying to, you know, keep everybody out. Because that specific group of Latin or Hispanic people don't work as hard as we do. Like, we're, we're different. We are mm. different because we work... Um, and they don't want the same thing, you know, they just want to come and live for free. And it's like, even then we just need to keep fighting because we are, we are the children. We are the next generation. We are what they fought for. And now it's our turn to fight for them. The Puerto Rican experience is vastly different from the migration experiences of the rest of Latin America. There is a significant history and context that is not often understood regarding Puerto Ricans and their American citizenship. We listened to Puerto Rican professor Hugo Viera Vargas speak on some of this history and reality. Well, Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States. Uh, but before Puerto Rico was a territory of the United States, of course, was uh, a colony. Uh, of the Spanish Empire for more than 400 years or around 400 years. Uh, so when the Americans came and occupied the island, there was already an idea of what was uh, Puerto Ricanness. For example, the vernacular of the country was Spanish. Uh, there was a sense of what was uh, the experience of being Puerto Rican. There was literature, there was music. There were a number of things that usually are symbols uh, of, uh, of uh, an identity. Uh, but when the Americans came and started the Americanization process, there was this, uh, for some sector of the country, um, a resistance to that. 
not necessarily uh, about the democratic principle of Americans or the idea of, of democracy in America. Uh, that was not basically the issue. The issue was more on the cultural aspect of it. There was a, a, a resistance and there was a process that stressed uh, Puerto Ricanness against being American. Uh, that meant at that moment, and still to some degree, meant Spanish, for example, the uh, resistance to speak English in school, you know, that as part of the Americanization process, there was the imposition of English as the language of instruction. But for the most part, Puerto Ricans speak uh, basically uh, Spanish. Uh, Puerto Rico is a nation without a state. So that means that Puerto Rico has all the elements of a nation, but doesn't have the sovereignty, la soberanía, uh, of a state, of an independent state, of a republic, like the United States, like any other country in Latin America where they are. They take their decision um, in their benefits and they decide what is in their best interest. It's also uh, it's a territory, but it's also a colony. It's a modern colony of the United States. So you have a lot of proudness, orgullo of being Boricua, of being Puerto Ricano, but at the same time, uh, we don't have a, a state, a political state, an independent state. A we are not a republic at this moment. So that's why you see that discrepancy, I would say. In this final section, we listen to Yamir speak about the Puerto Rican migration experience, how it differs from other Latin American nationalities, and what implications being a nation without a state has on their Puerto Rican identity and migration experience. Does that does having a U.S. citizenship basically alter your definition of home? It's very complicated. I think Puerto Ricans have a very strong cultural pride, even if it's not a national pride. Yeah. Because we have a very strong sense of like cultural pride and like, and I don't think like American citizenship has hindered that. You know, they've been trying for like 122 years now to like Americanize us, and it's like fallen flat. <laughs> That's not worked. <laughs> it's not worked at all. I don't think it's a really a struggle, especially since we don't have a choice. Yeah. It's not like I'm app we're applying for citizenship or anything. It's such a particular situation. Obviously it is second class citizenship, you know. Yeah. I can't do all the fun American things like vote in a presidential election. But at the same time, <laughs> if I wanted to migrate, like move to the US, you know, all I have to do is like buy a plane ticket. The cost is so low. A plane ticket, what, $200? And boom, you're there. And it's such a unique situation for us that we can just, you know, if I decided to go to the US tomorrow, I can go ahead and do that. But my migration for anybody else in Latin America is incredibly complicated, expensive, and dangerous. There's a lot of injustice with being imposed mm -hmm. this like second-class citizenship. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it is very much an advantage that nobody else has. I guess I just want to mention again the idea of um, this divide we have between those of us living in Latin America, those of us who moved to the U.S. I feel that we can be very rude to migrants. Mm. Many times just 
being like very unaware of like why they did it. I guess I feel because many of us think that they've like given up on their country yeah. and like oh, that's not true at all. Especially I see it happening in Puerto Rico, especially after Maria where so many like over a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people left Absolutely. that like, you know, those of us who stayed were like being left to deal with it. Like mm-hmm. that was that was what the discourse was. That's what our ideas were about like migrants that, you know, they don't want to deal with their issues here, so they're leaving for an easier life. I don't think either of those statements are true. Mm-hmm. I don't think life is easier in the US and I don't think they're leaving just because they don't want to deal with things because they're going to have a whole lot more to deal with in the U.S. too. Immigration is a very layered subject in the context of the U.S. Depending on your nationality, the relationship between your home country and the U.S. may have particular implications on your life here. We hope this episode contextualized some of these nuances, specificities, and realities. We hope you feel informed, understood, and identified with. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tune in to our next one. We'll be discussing language and identity, how the two interlace and don't, as well as their effects on Latino, Latina, and Latinx identity. This podcast is produced by faculty members Professor Jose Martinez, Dr. Hugo Viera Vargas, and myself. Our editing, mixing, and music is brought to you by Professor Jose Martinez. We also want to thank our student interviewees for their participation and support. For more information about the podcast or resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our website. I'm your host, Soy Sanfitriona Lismena. Hasta la próxima. So Making a Better New is a podcast concept that came from the Committee on Campus Climate and Culture at the New College of Florida. We call the committee the 4C. The podcast was created to bring the microphone to members of the community that don't always get heard and to model having real talk and challenge each other while remaining respectful.